Okay. We can do this. Okay. Was that our yeah. was that our Okay. I'm you know what I'm not actually gonna ask you about this the clappy thing the because slate. I still don't yeah, I still don't understand how you it were on a film really set the other day. Hello and welcome to Media Literate. A collaborative podcast uh, where a bunch of MAs are, you know, really coming to terms with the fact that we might not have an established format for this show, but mm-hmm. you could, you <laughs> could say it it's inconsistency. I like to call it spontaneity. That's, you know? ooh, 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 we're, we're very whimsical. quirky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> This is a Manic Pixie, that Pixie Dream, Dream podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, my name is Kimberly Henry. My name is Laura Broman. Excellent. Um, you might notice that we're a little silly. Uh, we're <laughs> recording the day after America's birthday, depending on yeah. how you feel about colonialism. <laughs> uh, we don't like her very much, but we drink for her every year. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we're coming in hot. And by <laughs> hot, I mean sweaty. <laughs> and um, tired. A little smudged. Yeah. A little Just... sm- oh, yeah. Makeup from yesterday, death still on the face. But that's just, um, that's our commitment to the craft of media studies. So we're skipping cannon fodder today. I actually did watch the movie and gosh, I could have some thoughts about it. But um, because we're generally kind of messed up with the schedule at this point, we're just going to pick back up with it next week and get ready, you guys, because it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Um, But for now, we're just going to dive right in with our guest. Julia yes. Rose Camus. Yes. You may know uh, her from previous podcast episodes or from the credits listed mm-hmm. several times. Yeah. We don't even list the fact that you made our um, our logo, Julia. <laughs> we do. Look, no, no, no. We are all taught all day, all the time. We do. You, you I read you're it the one who says the credits every single time. It's just I always feel like there's more that she's doing. Like she's really doing everything yes. all the time. So I'm like, it's true. There's stuff I'm not listing on on the credits. Very so true. that is very true. I, well, yes. look, I I live, breathe, eat, sleep the pod. <laughs> is my Somebody favorite. has to. <laughs> this is my favorite side project. Love her. Um, hi, it is great to be and I'm so excited to be part of this new format. Yes. Um, so today I will be talking about something very exciting. Kim, would you like to intro the topic of this week? I think I can do that. I feel I feel confident in it. Um, mm-hmm. You got this. Yeah. So so Julia is here with us to talk today about um, queer representation in 2000s television that that super fun period that we um are all deeply emotionally invested in but mm-hmm. cannot rewatch. oh yeah uh, if you've attempted to rewatch gilmore girls recently you know exactly what i mean leave it as a memory just Absolutely. be like yeah jesse's the best boyfriend they're all terrible indeed yeah, they're all uh, terrible that's for sure it is definitely a controversial era of television that has left me with one of my some of my favorite and some of my least favorite memories. Um, And I am excited to talk about it more today, especially talking a bit about queer representation in this context. Who knew knew gay people existed in the 2000s? Um, I did. (laughs) Lauren Graham knew. And she made several references to it uh, in her fast and quippy dialogue. In that way she has, everybody found out that gay people existed in the 2000s, I think. I mean, you know, like on Buffy television. The Vampire Slayer did. I also. mean, yeah. We talked about was that, that the, a little while ago. We did. Yeah. Oh, that was the, no, that was the 2000s. Right. Yeah. You hit the 2000s. Um, it's like, here yeah. yeah. Prime yeah. time. But uh, yeah, it seems that gay people were not invented in the 2000s mm-hmm. and were actually around a while longer, you know, a couple Wait, thousand of years really? longer. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Unclear. Uh, I have the sources. I have a big <laughs> of books next to me that can certify this. Um, but it was not necessarily the greatest time for representing queer people in the 2000s. Mm. It was a bit of a, a slippery time since it was the first kind of exploration into understanding how we should portray queer identities, queer relationships, and plot lines surrounding queer characters. Mm-hmm. In, in mainstream media, mainstream right? Like, media mm-hmm. for sure. 
And to quote uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 2000s TV might have had a minor Wiggins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had a minor Wiggins about gay people. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, and it's interesting too, because it's like a time of television that's sort of post network, but not so much, right? It's like yeah. right on the mm-hmm. cusp of like moving into streaming and moving into like a bit more creative freedom, but it's still very much like rooted in a lot of network and studio production that like bounded by certain obligations and lots and lots of sort of upper executive opinions that diluted a lot of queer narratives mm-hmm. or like didn't help them. Um, and not to mention that most like writers rooms and producer staffs were not really representing in that at all either so wait 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 julia i'm sorry (laughs) 2003 did not bring the rainbow coalition to the wga (laughs) you would think i'm shocked no disappointed (laughs) and nauseated that's true. Mm. All we had back then was the occasional Ryan Murphy, um, who wasn't doing us any favors, really. So I'll be getting into that as well later. Um, but so I will be talking a little bit about some of the ways in which queer representation failed in the 2000s and specifically how it really messed up a lot of our um, audience's perceptions of uh, mm-hmm. these narratives. And the three cardinal sins I will be discussing today Uh, in terms of queer representation are queer bashing, queer burying, and queer baiting. Please note the alliteration. I'm Uh, very impressed with it personally. So this is based on a paper that you wrote a little while ago. And do you want to just go into the sort of like a quick overview of what these different things are and then what we're going to talk about today? Absolutely. So the idea for this kind of sprouted out of some like theory that I was thinking about in terms of how audiences often manipulated these queer narratives and read into subtext and did their own work in terms of fixing some of these issues of queer representation at this time. So I was trying to think what is there to fix what was going so wrong and so Firstly, you have the idea of queer bashing, which is like a twofold kind of issue. So it operates firstly on the idea of like literal queer bashing, literal violence against queer bodies on screens, which wasn't necessarily the most frequent um, because a lot of this television was like a little more lighthearted that we're going to be talking about because, you know, like the, the, the network kind of issues of it, but still nonetheless present. And then there's the other side of queer bashing, which kind of, um, applies to ideas of derogatory and pejorative narratives surrounding queerness, like spoken by characters in a show. So mm-hmm. kind of like the subtle violence of just, you know, sex in the city discussing bisexuality oh over brunch. And oh, oh, God. that was like, I guess I, it's been a while since I was in the early 2000s. I guess that's true for all of us, but it, I just had kind of forgotten. Around what... 15 years, I would exactly. say. <laughs> thereabouts yeah but just the the unbelievable amount of just shameless um queer phobia biphobia was I'm just startling like it's amazing how you get a little bit of distance from it and mm-hmm. it's and so explicit so explicit. yeah you yeah. know I feel like now like tv's definitely not perfect but like right. a lot of the infringements or like negative discourse kind of pop up like subtly and you have to like read a bit more into it. Like back then it's literally just shitting on queer people over. Right. I, I guess for, for context, is it, there was the, a clip Julia had us watch that was basically the, the four of the mm-hmm. Sex and City characters out at brunch and uh, Carrie was I went on a date with a guy who turned out to be bi. And <gasps> she was like, is this okay? And they're all like, no. <laughs> I know. And Carrie, they- TV is a cultural forum okay (laughs) not for human rights kim (laughs) oh no really (laughs) okay so we've got phase one of your Mm -hmm. project then after bashing we have the next kind of obvious sort of uh second wave which is burying which is often the practice that has been around like for longer than I think any of us would like, but like Mm -hmm. as early as like the 60s television, even if there was the inclusion or like slightest representation of a queer character, they were very shortly after usually killed out of the plot and of the show entirely. 
Um, so sort of that idea that like, you may have a little bit of representation, but not too much representation and we're mm -hmm. going to kill your faves. Woo! All right. And then B number three. And then B number three is baiting. So queer baiting has become kind of like a buzzword lately in a lot of television discussion. And it so was a buzzword very much so when I was getting into television. The Mary Sue had me mm -hmm. on queer I was like hey I see what you're doing you can't fool me exactly and it's complicated to sort of theorize because in a lot of ways it's much more subtle in a sort of misstep towards queer representation than some of the other ones we're talking about it refers to sort of this like teasing and hinting at potentials of queer romance queer affection queer relationships without ever uh, explicitly showing that or concluding in any meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a way of drawing in queer audiences without ever giving them the satisfaction of true representation of a relationship. Okay, so as we're like, now we have this general idea of what you want to talk about. I really want to dive in. Laura brought this up a little bit with Sex in the City, but what television shows are we going to talk about? Like specifically, I think we can go through now. Yes. all of your alliterative um, theories the <laughs> um but yeah so, so what tv for you like really exemplified this first concept of like the queer bashing that happened very much in the early 2000s great question well one of the most formative tv shows of my 2000s experience was desperate housewives mm -hmm. um so that was a very interesting show to watch at such a young age because i feel like it illustrates a lot of these like American suburban ideals, but sort of modified from what we've known sitcoms to be in the past. So the idea of reworking the, the, the you know, the common suburban housewife into something um, more self-aware and kind of more advanced in terms of representation of gender, or mm -hmm. at least kind of how they sold it at the beginning. But it does fail in a lot of ways to offer meaningful queer representation. And the show is sort of twofold in the bashing because it both has literal bashing in the dialogue, much like the Sex and the City example we talked about. So anytime any character comes out, it's like sort of a huge conversation for the neighborhood and it's mm -hmm. very controversial and it's usually very like mocked and the characters mm -hmm. aren't really, the, the queer characters aren't very developed, they're, they're fairly superficial. But there's also the physical violence that's perpetrated as and played as a joke across the show. So one of the characters in season one has an affair with someone and her husband tries to figure out who she's having an affair with and suspects that it's their cable guy and uh, shows up to the cable guy's house, beats the shit out of him, mm -hmm. and then finds out that he's actually gay by like the decor set up in his apartment, right? So well, that like, is how you can tell that, with that sort of I, thing. Like, no. he, I, we saw that clip too. He walks in and he sees the poster of Gypsy on the wall and he's like, wait a minute. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like super reductive, but it's also like, and it plays as a punchline constantly, right? That she says mm -hmm. like, oh, like you're like a gay basher now because you've done this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like completely not taken seriously. And like for a show that doesn't exemplify all that much like actual violence, Mm -hmm. um, it's meaningful and it happens twice so How, does he keep making the mistake yes he keeps but that's the thing he keeps making the mistake they keep playing it as comedy and it just feels very uncomfortable but it's completely just like normalized in the rest mm -hmm. of the plot and I guess the show did kind of evolve I would say because it did run for eight seasons and I think by the end they were like okay some of this doesn't fly so much anymore we need to kind of be better so like Andrew, who's Bree's son, does evolve to be like a more fully fledged developed character that's not like purely evil. Um, so there's some hope for representation there, but um, that was very much lacking. And I think it kind of fits in the Sex and the City sort of narrative that we saw mm -hmm. in the clip that I sent you guys. Yes, yeah. M mocking by people over brunch, exactly. so much fun. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the sort of pre-pod work, but that the way that this type of queer bashing, not necessarily the direct physical violence, but the sort of linguistic violence that's constantly sort of woven into mm -hmm. early 2000s dialogue creates a confusing relationship between especially like young queer uh, audience members and 
their representation on screen. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, absolutely. Well, first of all, with the Sex in the City, I like to say, and this was for a long time my Tinder bio, uh, <laughs> I put the bi in bitch. And so I'm very proud to stand up <laughs> my identity and, and talk about this representation. It is very derogatory and it is very mm -hmm. hard to view that as an audience member. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of the reasons why there were such large fan followings for some of these narratives, despite the explicit sort of verbal bashing, is because fans saw the potential to sort of write this. So like a lot mm. of Tumblr accounts or like Wattpads were like devoted to rewriting some of these narratives and using those characters and the base of those characters to fully develop queer narratives offline. Um, I mean, right. off mm -hmm. screens and online. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's an interesting kind of way that queer audiences adapted to take something out of something so negative and still make it into something meaningful within the queer community. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that's one of the reasons that we have such better representation now is I think a lot of people understood that queer audiences were meaningful and impactful and were also producing this content that could attract attention. One thing I think is interesting is that a lot of these um, texts that we're looking at are kind of heralded as like, like these very female centric uh, third wave feminism kind of uh, female forward shows like Sex in the City or uh, Desperate Housewives, even even Buffy to some extent, or mm -hmm. um, uh, and even like going into film like Silence of the Lambs, like these very like yes women women protagonists, but then it comes at the expense of these like this all these queer bashing. Um, yeah. Girl that boss, in that. queer bash. The, mm -hmm. the God damn it! That was don't don't say it so quipply. Like that was. It was tight. It was on my mind. It was on my mind. But no, I agree. I think it's really interesting, right? Because when striving for one form of representation, you end up putting down others. It seems really counterintuitive. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's still something you feel a lot in television now, especially with like racial representation. Um, it yeah. all seems to come at the expense. Because obviously it's a zero sum game. Yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, right? It, it always seems that if, you know, networks try to elevate one, somehow they colossally mess up everything else. And I just think that it's very odd to have it kind of like vehicled through the, the lens of like feminist media um, when, you know, questions mm -hmm. of queerness and feminism are so intertwined. And also, you know, the show doesn't give all that much space for an ideation of queer, like of, of, of female queerness. It's mostly centered around these like male mm. figures that like mm -hmm. surround them, uh, which I think is part of the issue as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's also really interesting with a show like Sex and the City, which many of its writers, or at least its creator, was like white gay men, right? Yeah. Like this is a show that's created about straight white women by white gay men. And then what you have as a result is this like very particular way of discussing sexuality and especially bisexuality like sometimes it feels like okay so somebody wanted to air some grievances yes. and we are using Sarah Jessica Parker's face to do this <laughs> but it is really interesting like the dynamic that it creates and this is something that you mentioned as well with um, racial representation where there's the idea where um, especially as a young viewer I remember hearing mm -hmm. these jokes about queer people or hearing jokes about like they do this on sitcoms so much um tina fey did this a lot in um 30 raw new girl does this all the time where they're just like we don't really know how to address how very much we are lacking diversity so we're just going to make jokes about how white we are that it are kind of at the expense mm -hmm. of people of color but mm -hmm. it's really like oh we're just such oh gosh golly gee shucks white yeah. people that and, but it's funny because we're so white right oh, and we're mentioning black people and then I'm like oh they mentioned black people that's me that was a funny joke wait no hey hey man yeah, exactly <laughs> like you're just grasping at like the, the straws that you're given to kind mm -hmm. of form a, like a sense of how you want to see yourself mm -hmm. and the problem is a lot of it's just not very good <laughs> so. well I think that's an interesting point too um because thinking about like the fan fiction and the um, like the kind of text, the work that you have to do as a queer viewer on your end to like make it okay or to be able to see yourself in this character is you know so much is put on 
Uh, and on the viewer, in, in certain ways, it could be a form of like resistance. You're taking like uh, you're taking a text and you're making it your own, but just the amount of like work that that requires is so much more than I think happens for definitely. And you know, I heard hetero a lot, characters. A lot of times, people get people get angry at queer readings of uh, popular media, mm -hmm. or like they get really upset yeah. at the line if you kind of like put out like that kind of. Um, sort of narrative. I mean, there, there was this with Star Trek, right, for a long time. And I think yeah. it's really interesting because people get so mad at this, but without realizing that it's not necessarily saying anything about the canon. It's just saying that, you, you know, as queer viewers, you're trying to exist in some way, shape or form. And online at least gives you sort of that creative liberty, but also that extra effort that you're putting into to be able to find that and relate to that. And while you can do that, while that labor is something that queer audiences are able to put in when it comes to this particular type of queer representation and queer bashing, it's much harder to do that when you're like burying your gaze as it is. Yes. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Nice. Another segue. Here we go. Yes, I love it. Yes. I'm just, okay, look, I'm really, <laughs> I wasn't even going to bring it up this time, you know, because I'm just like subtle like that and shit. <laughs> That's but, what I'm here for. Yeah. Thank You're you. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, queer bear, yeah, burying your queers. Let's burying talk about your gaze, it. Burying your queers, another very harmful trope um, that's often been sort of rampant among television, but really ramped up. <laughs> Uh, in the, in the wordplay it's sad and it's really it's not good no no no. i liked it i liked it thank you, thank you. um but that is also a very big issue right which is the idea that uh networks sort of tried to parade this idea of the fact that they are including queer representation um they're making that step but then they immediately you know uh backtrack and kill off the queer character that they've just like had come out of the closet or mm -hmm. express queer affection and it's sort of a way of cutting and like tying up uh a storyline without really venturing into it. So again, it's like crumbs to hold on to. And in a way mm -hmm. it's nice because at least sometimes they're, they're good representations. Sometimes they're not these like demeaning stereotypes, but they're, they're immediately taken away and they're not developed or fully fledged. So that's like a, a, another sort of way in which television has let us down as queer audiences. Mm -hmm. And I think a big example of this for me growing up was Pretty Little Liars. So fitting mm -hmm. again into this kind of like uh, sort of girl media, um, it, it, it shows like it's kind of like a present uh, device across various age groups of media too, which I think is interesting, but Pretty Little Liars has a complicated relationship to queerness, mostly because it kind oh, of, yeah. yeah, it like didn't feature any for a long time. And then they had Emily come out and that felt, I remember at the time that felt like really exciting. Like Emily was a cool character. She was mm -hmm. a main character, she was alive. Like it was great. And then immediately within the show, one her main love interest, Maya, uh, who is, is killed off. And you, you don't really get enough of that relationship to fully appreciate it. Uh, you don't really get to see Emily being happy as a character for very long. And you're kind of told that if you're engaging in queerness and in queer desire, you're going to be punished. Um, and either you or the person you love is going to be killed, right? It was like, it was a really devastating kind of plot point. And at that point, yeah. though, too, not that many people had like really died, right? There was some like dead people who came back, like mm -hmm. very much in that vein, right? But Maya never came back. Maya was like completely removed from the narrative. And it was really sad and hurtful at the time because I'd put like a lot of trust into it and it mm -hmm. didn't pan out. One of the things I thought was really interesting about um, the clip that that you showed us from that storyline with Maya and um, Emily was that um, in the like whatever wherever the person had like gotten the clip and put it on YouTube, there was like a little lower thirds ad that came up for the It Gets Better campaign, which was oh like had a ton of issues, but was specifically you know it was from ABC Family, like had put that in there specifically like a campaign about like no, actually you can be queer and have a future oh like that it which is just, just such not a, on this show right like because of course the the, the the barrier gaze idea is so insidious I mean I feel like you should talk you're the expert here um no but I but agree like, absolutely like I think it's there's very much like a dual message going on and I think also like the fact that it's happening to literal teenagers is especially alarming because that's probably mm -hmm. the age where you need maybe the most comfort about the fact that you'll be right. able to live and love someone and be safe. Um, so right. I think that 
that's very damaging in itself. Right. And I think the show then like went on to get more complicated with queerness and <laughs> refer back to be number one with bashing. Um, one of the spoiler alert, if anybody plans on, on overly engaging in, a, in an old show that is not really worth it. Um, but one of the one of the main a the ultimate shaggy dog tale too. Exactly. One of the main A characters that's revealed is Cece, and Cece is revealed to be trans and having formerly been Allison's brother and then transitioned and come back as Allison's sister, but undercover because no one knew about the transition. And they kind of expose Cece as being this really like abusive person and like as a child being really hurtful to like their siblings. And then when older, like trying to enact this revenge fantasy plot, uh, putting like the, the characters in like a dollhouse, like it's like really messed up, right? And it's like, after so much investment, like it's very much the like Silence of the Lambs thing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you put so much investment yeah. into this narrative and the conclusion is homophobia. The conclusion is like trans people mm -hmm. are bad and like, it's so disappointing when you've put so much effort into a show, especially a show that brought in so much queer viewership um, to kind mm -hmm. of have that be like the end note um, when the producers at this point were so aware of their queer following. It is really, it's, it's really special for me, I think, and important to hear also the amount of emotion that you, you get just recalling yeah. these, this show that mm -hmm. you're not like I really like the show oh the writing was so good which like look it was ABC family I doubt it was <laughs> but but that it was something that was important to you growing up and that when you are of the age I mean I guess ABC families for the whole family but when you're that sort of teen watching these shows and wanting to see yourself and putting a lot of faith in these yeah. characters and a, a lot of emotional investment for creators to sort of turn around and twist that investment and twist that mm -hmm. emotional labor that you put in, not to even like create fanfics or anything, but just to like love the characters that they're writing and like exactly. turn that mm -hmm. against you is so, it is really powerful. And I think it's important to recognize that these shows, especially for like young queer kids for whom a lot of the time that is how you sort of like are able to express yourself or find new expressions oh. in the characters you see on TV, it's like, I mean, it, I, I believe the academic term for it is pretty fucked up. <laughs> I agree. I, <laughs> yes. I definitely yeah. agree. And like, it was, a, it was a whole ritual too, because like, I very much felt that like kind of post-network feeling when I was watching Pretty Little Liars because it aired online, it aired on TV at some point on some channel. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I need to watch this show. And it was the first show that made me go to the family computer right like back when like, there was, like mm -hmm. one single family desktop yes. I, would, I would go to it at night like in the evening my parents would be watching the news or whatever I'd go I would find an illegal website because I was a trans <laughs> and I couldn't like it was complicated it took me so long to find it an illegal website to watch it and I watched it like hunched over this family computer right like that's real that's real labor of love <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so no I definitely agree and so I'm, I'm really happy that we're kind of like, I think that is one of the tropes people have become hyper aware of um, as of late yeah. uh, and that is being mostly corrected in a lot of shows. So I think that's, that's a good thing for the future, mm -hmm. but it was definitely difficult at the time. Why do you think they do engage in that sort of like, like the, the writers, do you think there is some sort of, even if it's not this like active puppet master, I run this show thing, <laughs> what do you think is behind the burying your gaze trope. Well, you know, it's interesting too, depending on where the character is positioned, because sometimes they're protagonist, sometimes mm -hmm. they're antagonist. Mm -hmm. And I think like when it's a protagonist, it's it's really kind of nonsensical to have a character that's really loved and then killed them off. Like, I think that that's not that, like it's not a great mm -hmm. move in terms of TV writing, right? Um, to do that. And then when it's an antagonist, it just creates this other kind of association that's difficult mm -hmm. where, right, they're, they have a reason to be doing it, but like, why did you make your queer character the main antagonist of the whole yeah. show, especially yeah. repeatedly? So I think it's, it's a complicated trajectory and I'm fairly sure it's just like a way of wrapping up that issue without having to do the complicated labor of maybe understanding what a queer relationship would look like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, there's right. also this thing that comes up a lot um, when you hear creators talk about 
when they kill off characters, especially beloved characters, whether queer or not, they're sort of like, well, yeah, we really wanted to give them this send off. We really wanted to like do right by them. And like, and I think it speaks to another issue in queer representation across media of not being able to move past the coming out story. Yes. Because it's like, well, this mm-hmm. is the sort of like, as far as like we can map three act Aristotelian structure onto the life of a queer person. It's like, oh, well then that's your climax and you've got a teeny tiny wrap up right after they come out and then the story's Mm -hmm. over. And it really shows a lack of understanding of like queer existence Mm -hmm. outside of the main connection to like a straight world, which is like, hi, I have come out to you now. And I wonder to what extent for the writers, it's like, yeah, we wanted to give them a great send off which would of course occur immediately after they come out because that's Mm -hmm. like the natural arc of the story. And it's like, yeah, but only if you only consider a queer person's existence in relation to their coming out story and not any of the real life that continues to happen after that. Totally. And I think with TV, it's like especially sinful because you're literally on an episodic format. Like there's no reason to cut a narrative short Mm -hmm. really. Um, you can put it in the back very easily. Yeah. So actively killing someone in television feels so much more hurtful than in a film context Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, what was the reason? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm going to come back next week. You didn't exactly like everyone else (laughs) is too. That's the thing. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, like even with like newer shows, like Orange is New Black, which like, you know, objectively did offer interesting representation in a lot of ways, but they also, once again, spoiler alert, killed off Poussey, who is literally a fan favorite for so, so many- So glad I stopped right. watching that show before that happened. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. Devastating. They, they tried to like, they tried to sell it when there was, like once it happened and everyone was really upset about it online, they tried to sell it as this commentary on police brutality in prisons, but it just felt like there was- You mean the thing the whole show is anyway? What know. are you talking there- about? There is so much already going on surrounding the issue of sort of like abusive carceral systems and how they target like especially queer women in those contexts. It just felt really unnecessary to re- to kill such a loved character. And mm-hmm. so I hope they're learning. I hope they're growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of learning and growing, this is not a good segue. Don't I want no props for the. Don't say that, Kim. Oh, God. Don't oh, say that. No. All okay, segues well, are good segues. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I'm going to come up with the worst possible segue next episode, obviously. Um, okay. We're keeping them. Yeah. Um, everything is grade A for this one, though. Um, but no, I think the next B that we're talking about is particularly for me, the one I'm most excited about because I was raised oh, on yeah. Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, yeah, yep. so queerbaiting yep. is a pretty early part of my media studies vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also mm-hmm. one of the least emotionally devastating but most passionate debates that you can get into mm-hmm. surrounding queer yeah. uh, representation in media. So what shows are you thinking of for that one? Like, so, where do you see that? It's very, I know what, I know which ones I'm thinking of. At the mere mention of Tumblr, right? And queer baiting, we are all thinking the same thing. Yep. We're all thinking about Supernatural. We're hey, all super Hulak. Hey. Yeah, it's like, yes. exactly. so we all super have fan. kind of that queer baiting canon. God, I hate that. The queer baiting <laughs> canon. The queer baiting canon. <laughs> Um, kind of in our minds and in our like collective traumatic experiences with them mm-hmm. um, and I think that is sort of when the idea of queer baiting really came into television a lot more prominently like I mm-hmm. think easy, queer baiting has been a practice that's also been very present like as a multimedia it's the beginning of time exactly and it's like very present in like the music industry and in at Harry Styles at Harry Styles oh I love him oh. that's true it's true um, at every female pop star that's been forced by their manager to kiss another woman as a publicity stunt. Um, <laughs> I think that queer baiting kind of came to, like at a really interesting point in the 2000s through these shows. And so we will talk about those, but I also want to offer some other kinds of ways that queer baiting existed, which were like, because yes. I feel like queer baiting in those contexts became part of like the joke and the discourse 
among queer mm-hmm. communities as well. Mm-hmm. So like that was that was interesting to see and to see how they were engaging with that material. But then there were shows like How I Met Your Mother, which I know a lot of people yeah. like and are very fond of. And like I watched it when I was. I am um, not fond of it. Well, there we go. Well, look, strong opinions to the contrary. Exactly. Well, I completely respect it, and I I I. I liked it when I was younger. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking a lot about this because Lily is a very interesting character mm-hmm. on the show. And as we know, Lily is uh, played by the same actress that played Willow on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. And so mm-hmm. actress with sort of this uh, canon character in mind that is queer. And so mm-hmm. it was very interesting when she appeared on How I Met Your Mother and they sort of made a big punchline out of the fact that she experienced queer desire and mm-hmm. it was often um, mm-hmm. aimed at Robin, who was the other main female protagonist of the show. And I feel like that show engaged it with, with it very interestingly at, when they were constantly hinting at how she felt about Robin and how they offered these really like male gazy dream sequences where they- Oh yeah. Exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was like a mishandling that I thought was particularly odd and also like a bit out of place because I don't really, I didn't really understand how it fit in the comedic arc of the show, like how they would benefit from that kind of queer baiting practice. Mm-hmm. Whereas I guess if you're like in a multi-part like fantasy show, like maybe you can get away with more of this stuff, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you kind of said this already, but the like old standby which is so true in like in friends too and all of those like late 90s early 2000s shows are just basically like queerness is the punchline yeah it's right like setup and punchline at the same time like mm-hmm. it's just the kind of cheapest most common joke that you see in a lot of those sitcoms no i agree and it's it's like it's a it's a weird it feels out of place and odd but it was so used and i remember feeling mm-hmm. at the time with how i met your mother that finding out that neil patrick harris was gay was so cool because i was mm-hmm. like oh my God, like that's amazing acting, right? He's able to play this role and he's like a gay man in real life. And then I was like, oh wait, he's playing like a total misogynist. Why is this exciting? <laughs> why, why is this the part that was given to him? Don't you just love yeah. it when like men who like technically don't love women then are like playing men who also don't <laughs> love women, but in the worst way. <laughs> like- I know. <laughs> Well, oh great womanizing that's the opposite of being gay right exactly. <laughs> it's so overcomplicating much but no seriously it's it's like it's a very odd practice in that kind of comedic context mm-hmm. but i'm curious kim to hear your thoughts about supernatural because i know that you have a long history <sighs> yes yes i do my actual my deeper queer baiting angst comes from teen wolf and not supernatural mm. but i think it's because those shows both engaged in queer baiting in a really specific way that I think we should talk about the difference between this type of queer baiting and the queer baiting that you're describing on How I Met Your Mother. Because what supernatural, like the point when it got to uh, a a point of controversy, I think, um, was when the show sort of, the shows both Supernatural and Teen Wolf sort of started engaging with their audiences on queer baiting or on these Mm -hmm. ships because like these shows also came out with the boom of of comic and entertainment media conventions right you know there have been comic conventions for forever right and there's been star trek conventions and all these things but they became much bigger around the time that these shows became bigger and fantasy and horror sort of exploded into your sort of mainstream genres so you've got all of these people who are writing all of this fan fiction and creating all this fan art and like invested in these relationships that are in some ways written into the the text and so Mm -hmm. then the creators see that and they're like oh well you know what I'll throw you a bone sure here's a moment like they're like hold the glance a little longer you guys are like oh this line is an innuendo mm-hmm. throw it in there yeah. and which is funny because sometimes it's already there it's all like the mm-hmm. usually the reason why fans come up with these ships is because there's already a chemistry there then the creators lean into it right 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 but then once the creators acknowledge your ship and they're like yeah no no it's cool it's, it's cute whatever i'll give you a couple lines and they still don't follow through, there, this power dynamic and the sense of disrespect comes 
to the fore mm-hmm. where you realize it's like, oh, you think that my desire is like cute yeah. or you think that my desire yeah. is a joke uh, as something that you can allude to, but yeah. never follow through with because it's so unrealistic. Like that's the real issue with queer baiting, I think, is that it implies that straightness is so, so, so the norm that more so than like, oh yeah, Dean and Castiel are like fighting the devil this season, mm-hmm. literal Satan. Um, but obviously they're straight. Like it's more likely that you'll encounter <laughs> the devil on the crossroads <laughs> than look at your guy friend who you've been friends with for a while and be like, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. there's oh. a vibe. For me, yeah, I remember Laura. especially Sherlock was the other one, yeah. like that kind of completes the like, I don't know, it was always in partnership with Supernatural doing that because that show like ended and they weren't, John Locke wasn't canon. The fans were like, what the fuck? No, of course they're canon. What are you talking about? And like, it was just, yeah. I love that their solution was just to literally never announce anything ever again, just to be like, well, we're not over. Mm-hmm. Things might still happen. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like five years later, nothing has come out and we're just yeah. waiting while yeah. Bernadette Cumberbatch makes all his Disney money. Um, right. It's almost the ultimate queer bait. Like, I, true. like just, you are always, always be waiting for this to be mm-hmm. uh, like made canon and it just. And I think it's interesting too, how all of these center around male relationships. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, right? it might upset some viewers, but as long as you're offered sort of a a sense of reality in which all desire is oriented towards a man and like Mm -hmm. sort of put through that male gaze, it's okay and and manageable. Whereas Mm -hmm. a lot of relationships where this happened with women, um, it was like a lot harder for some audiences to sort of accept and take in. So I think there's like a complicated dynamic there. And again, like with Supernatural, especially one thing that is an interesting kind of other side to the coin of the queer baiting. It's just the deep misogyny oh, yeah. um, that like permeates that show. Um, like it's just, it's so like, so homosocial um, that it's just, I don't know, it gets gets to such a strange like place. Oh yeah. I will a hundred percent never, ever, ever finish Supernatural. There's no point. <laughs> it sounds exhausting to go back to. I'm not like, I don't, want to ever be as depressed again as I was when I was binge watching Supernatural in the summertime just making pies in my living room (laughs) just make a pie and watch Supernatural all day and you know what we don't need to do that anymore no now we watch real adult depressing films that are like silent or that have (laughs) subtitles You know, there's sad white men throughout Hollywood <laughs> history. There's just a whole, so many of them. You don't need to stop at Supernatural. There's oh, just... no, no, no. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though, the that queer baiting has like, this is this is sort of like the most recent iteration I've seen of it, which I think is hilarious because it's not working for me at all and Laura you and I talked about this when we were watching it but the most recent or I guess it's not the most recent anymore but um the oh Captain America or no Falcon and the Winter Soldier Uh, Falcon Winter Soldier they are trying so hard that's we were sitting in we were having like our own homoerotic subtext moment we were all laying in Charlotte's bed watching this show (laughs) Charlotte's asleep between us and I look over and it's like this that's the opposite of homoerotic subtext like what is happening on this show because they're putting so much effort into this this but if we call it a homoerotic super text? super text yes homoerotic super text yeah where the, everything they do Coined there's it. so many scenes unnecessarily like pinning the like Ooh. there's a point where the they're like fighting and they get sort of like knocked off of something and they like roll onto each other's chests they do group th- they do couples therapy where they have to like have their knees touching and make eye contact for an extended yeah. period doesn't this sound hot julia don't you wish you could see it guess what you don't it's not <laughs> It's, it's the straightest it's so show I've ever seen Didn't Marvel release like an explicit statement saying like Bucky Barnes is not gay? Like thanks for the input, but like he is not. <laughs> I think he's 
actively gay in the comics or he's bi in the comics. So that's well, really so funny. So is all of Marvel. They're all queer. <laughs> they just completely straight yeah. up every character in Marvel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you got- well, It makes me like curious to see what they'll do with Loki because like- I think I he's mean, officially bi. That... I haven't watched any of it, okay. but that's, oh, what, really? that's so... what the Mary Sue headlines of articles that I haven't read yet uh, say. <laughs> So my best friend is obsessed with the Loki show. She's also one of our listeners. So shout out to what up? Hey. Uh, but so hey. Alex is a, an avid um, Loki fan, and she uh, mm. has sort of brought me into this Marvel TV world. And it, she was telling me a little bit about it because she's been very invested in this queerness sort of being realized in the Loki show. And while they did confirm that he is gender fluid and bi, they have done it in a way where they're functioning through different realms where there is a female version of Loki that exists and they fall in love with each other. Oh. So instead of uh, like explicitly- oh, wait, 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 no, 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 that's so hot. Hear me out, hear me out. Instead of explicit bisexuality, we get weird self-incest. And I don't think- uh, Oh, don't that say that. that, don't say self-incest. I don't like that phrase at all. Yeah, but that is what it is. And I think that it's like- <laughs> I it's, it's not what it is. It's gotta be like something that's more like masturbatory. Self-incest is just uh, masturbation. Like, don't, don't call it that. Self-incest is just- <laughs> No, no, that's not, am, you know, I am we're not equivocating them. We're just negating Julia's statement I am entirely. You, I am feeding you the discourse of the people. You can look this up, okay? I hate this. I hate this so much. And first of all, okay, I have so many takes. One, falling yeah. in love with the female version of yourself does not count as bisexuality. No, it does not. It doesn't. And Nor then- Two, it just implies that bisexuality is just narcissism. It's just yes. pure narcissism. Yeah. Which like maybe for oh me a little God. bit, but like fuck off. Don't out like <laughs> all right, Disney, back off. We we had high hopes and then we watched it, and this was like the most like watered down PC bullshit version of queerness that Disney could like shit out. Oh. It's just like they're like, you want like explicit like queer affection? You want explicit? You mean the usual? <laughs> yeah. Hey so guys. I have a question. Mm -hmm. If you met yeah. an alternate reality version of yourself, um, because we're all just like regular, actually, you know what? No, I, Laura, I can't make any assumptions for you, but um, <laughs> the car outside. Someone is, is, yeah, is someone is like, hey, bitch, don't say this. <laughs> <laughs> just please, please the say it. The car is like, no. Beep, beep, beep. Um, <laughs> if you were to meet an alternate reality version of yourself, gender irrelevant or specify the gender if you want would you be dtf no interesting no, this is actually Why? a question i've wondered for about 10 years um specifically the are we coming up yes, on the anniversary only, <laughs> only if it's only if it's a female <laughs> okay okay like, i don't want to do the guy version myself that feels weird for some reason does it look exactly like you in this version like the alternate reality version might of have yourself some sexy looks... scars or something i don't know what she's oh yeah like with. oh like this is the battle hardened yeah. post apocalyptic laura yes. Roman. okay cool 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 yeah i think i think if i looked significantly different like if i had a different look like yeah. life had had switched me up a bit um yeah then yes as like the the female alternate reality right. version of myself and then um the mm, what have you other gender alternate reality version of myself like I'm pretty sure in a heartbeat um right. because maybe it bisexuality is narcissistic I don't know I but yeah. like really, I'm into it bisexuality isn't just wanting to fuck yourself like it's I think that, that <laughs> and I I That's just I, I think that if I was in that situation I would not be like well I'm bi so willing to try I would be like, <laughs> this has some deep implications on probably the realms and like the spatio-temporal implications and my sense of self. And I feel like it would be too much and the universe might end. Um, <laughs> That's fair also. Mm. I think I would just have to like have a really the nice conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I just feel like that sex would require a lot of like pre and post like uh, unpacking of things. A lot of debriefing would happen. <laughs> Oh my god ah. do you understand each other like are you all on the same page like no i think i think it would be really cool to actually are we all on the same page are we adding more versions of ourselves to the <laughs> like knowing myself we are self-orgy 
okay this car is like bitch stop it okay, okay. let's move on the car is letting us know that we are out of time on the self-incest conversation right thank well, you, you know julia what? rose camus <laughs> Um, I, it is not me. It is the discourse of the people. I'm not even a Marvel fan and I'm already, I'm so invested in this. I've watched <laughs> only the TV shows. Anyway. Look, watch the Netflix shows. They're so much better than the Disney plus shows. I'm, I'm shocked that everyone is so into them. I'm sorry. I'm, they're not good. Well, I, I'm not into any of it really, but I'm here for the discourse. Get it on Jessica Jones. I have heard good things. Mm. You have watched it? Okay, I'm sorry. You're you literally look like Jessica Jones right now. Is it because you're white with dark hair? Yes, but still, you have a good jawline. So does um, Kristen Ritter. Perfect. Well, you know what? Now I'm sold. Because self welcome. All righty. I believe you have a quiz for us, Julia. I do. I do. So just to keep things interactive for our, our viewers at home, please feel free to play along. Yeah. Oh my a- goodness. Interaction, by the way, is the source of queer baiting in my brain. So wow. let's get ready to queer bait these wow. viewers. Let's do oh. it. <laughs> well, no. Well, okay. I, <laughs> I take it back. Um, this game is not active queer baiting. This game <laughs> is a fun little quiz show to kind of sum up our knowledge that we've learned today. And so mm. I will be quizzing uh, my wonderful uh, hosts on whether a TV Hello. show that I will specify is baiting, bashing, or burying it's queer characters so you might know the show you might not you might make a guess like based on what you know let's I'm really excited so. wait hold on is it a competition you might have noticed i have my baseball cap on backwards today so like you're getting fratty kim and i gotta know it absolutely oh. can't be. so do we want buzzers this is a collaborative podcast yeah collaboration kim. is is In collaboration look, competition breeds collaboration okay capitalism um <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you said okay capitalism and i was so certain you were going to say okay capricorn um because are you a capricorn <laughs> yes oh, okay more on that later <laughs> can't wait okay so we can we can um let's do it as a competition and we will count up the points at the end keep track of your points no cheating i trust you because i'm handling uh, much software at the moment um the car wants to play too so it's interactive what can i say do um, you shit me with this car there we go and cute theme song <laughs> did you hear that <laughs> that was perfect yeah yeah recap of the rules i will be naming a show and you will be buzzing in with your answer about whether it is bashing baiting or burying or multiple can we buzz in with like a sound effect, like a ding? Yes. So that is your sound effect, Laura. What is your sound effect? Right. Uh, that's so. Oh my God. Hold on. This is so us. These sound effects are representative of our respective personalities. Yeah. Let's go. The first TV show is Friends. Uh, okay. Laura. Bashing. Correct. We have bashing. Yes. See, you were so against competition and now you're beating me. See, that's the key. She threw you off your game. All right, well, we're in now. Okay, next we have, and this includes both US and UK versions of Skins. Oh, I didn't watch that show. Ding! What's your guess? Baiting. Incorrect. Damn it. I am sorry. We do two in a row of the is same it, answer. Laura for half points. Uh, is it burying? Half Correct. Is it, burying? it is burying. It's, people die on skins. A lot of people die on skins. It is really depressing as hell. Naomi, I thought it was a funny one. No. Oh my god, it is it's a dark funny. Maybe I'm thinking of what's the dark. Misfits one. The, yeah, Misfits the sh- is funnier. Misfits. But is- oh no, no, no. Misfits is, seems very dark too. It, I was thinking of the one with James Franco and Seth Rogen. I have no idea what that is. Who are they? <laughs> oh, you're talking about Freaks and Geeks. I'm thinking Freaks yeah. and Geeks. Yeah. Oh yeah, Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. I, well, hmm, that was a good question. No, this is not Freaks and Geeks. Skins uh, had a UK and US version, and they had a beloved character named Naomi, 
um, who like had a very big redemption arc in her relationship and grew a lot, but then dies of cancer. And so does one of her main like love interests at some point in the show. Like she just dies of like an overdose, but burying is indeed the fact. So who knew homosexuality was a carcinogen? So next we have Degrassi. Ding! Burying. Very. I also haven't watched Degrassi, but I really, Uh, I knew I needed to just get in there. One of the most notable ones Mm -hmm. is in the next generation, Adam Torres, who is a trans boy, is killed in a car wreck. Oh yeah. Very sad because people are very attached to his character. God damn. Okay. Next we have one that's a little bit different in terms of genre. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. The Wire. Ding. Um, oh, um, God, um, three bear three. bashing, burying. Yeah, oh, so, okay, but since I got like fifty percent of the way through saying burying, you can get burying. No, I should get a, a third. This makes me just want to do a lot of sound effects with my mouth, like you know that one. Wow, that was very Wait, hold on. Can you do the for our viewers at home? Kim, oh, is doing... no. Am I doing cool. the water thing? Can you hear it? Yeah, no, that's what's. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's that's a lovely sound. Yeah. Well, you are indeed. <laughs> I'm <gonna> stop now. <laughs> you're a third correct. The wire was like one point three points so far. They kill. Wait, hold on. They kill her. They I've only off, seen three episodes. Off, so well, no, this is like later in the show, but they killed off not one, not two, not three, but four queer characters at different times. Oh um, my god. It's so, not worth in getting invested in. I know that like whenever I tell people, oh, I, I don't really like watching movies. I really prefer TV mm. because I haven't seen most movies. They're like, oh, well then you've seen The Wire, right? And I'm like, mm. uh, but why <laughs> but, would I watch it? Really because Omar is a character that really kind of shifted narratives of Black queer masculinity. And it was very important in a lot of rhetoric, but he was killed off and so were many of the other people surrounding him in the show. So next we have, and this is my personal least favorite, but it's up to you to decide why it's my least favorite. Do we get extra points if we can figure (laughs) out why? Yes. Cool. Nip tuck. Ding! Um, um, Oh, that is so, I need to be bold with this. Correct. It's bashing and you hate it because it's, um, we've talked about this. It's uh, Ryan Murphy is just like creating the most a, like, like, I think pretty homophobic, but also deeply uh, Mm. misogynistic representations of women, right? Yes, because the whole show is about plastic surgery and altering women's bodies to tailor to the male gaze. Can I get two thirds of a point? Can I get, can I like swoop back up? round up my first third I'll allow okay it. so i have three mm-hmm. points i allow it i allow it oh. and important to note it's a very specific brand of bashing because it often pertains to the identities of trans women um either depicting oh. them as predators or as you know just mm-hmm. characters or even as child molesters not hey ryan murphy why are you like this exactly so um next up <laughs> we okay. like pose though i guess right I do, but because he didn't really do anything. <laughs> executive producer does not mean it's really necessarily just your show. So. That's the tea. Anyway, next up we have a more recent example, and it is one of my favorite shows, yet it is committing a cardinal sin. Killing Eve. Don't talk to me about it. Ugh. Is it baiting? Correct, it is. Baiting. No, it is not. They are yes. in love. What are you talking about? They kiss. Have you seen season three? Yes, I have. And while I am absolutely here for it, I do not think it is enough to constitute it as non-queer baiting. Are you kidding me? No, I am dead serious. We're going to have a debate about this. We're going to have a debate about this because I think like the scene in season two where she fucks that guy, but she's got the earpiece in with like, that's sex. They had sex, but Julia. But they didn't. There's nothing explicitly happening. And I'm Look, sorry. Are we but- defining sex as like a purely biological act? Wow, that's really uh, well, at least conservative and reductive of you. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but- I guess phone sex isn't sex then. If the only way that you can possibly depict gay sex on screen is by having the two characters stab each other, I'm sorry, but that doesn't count as sex for me. 
does it but it beats I mean, like having sex with the opposite sex version of yourself right still uh, probably better than that oh yeah 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 <laughs> which is which is better queer representation loki or killing eve okay killing eve absolutely but um i'm just saying that if in season four there's not some stuff happening they gotta fuck they gotta oh my god when they're walking up the bridge the, 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 oh god i'm so into that show i watched it with my boyfriend is it why we broke up maybe I mean, hopefully. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. He's a lovely man, and that's definitely not why we broke up. If you're out there, it's okay. <laughs> okay, we have a few more left to go, so stay tuned. All right. Okay, next we have Supergirl, I guess. Uh, ding? Uh, I already said it, man. Uh, what are you doing? I'm going to say burying. Incorrect. I was gonna say bashing. Incorrect. It is baiting. Oh, it's baiting. Oh. Uh, fun fact: I went to middle school with Nicole Maines, who plays um, the the dreamer. Well, there we go. Yeah. So you, the show is guilty of queer baiting. So that was one. No points for anyone on that one. The next oh. though, the next one is a hot topic issue, and there are two possible answers. Mm. Are you ready? At your buzzer. Yeah. Right. We remember to use our buzzers this time. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ding! Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> Barry! 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 I know this. We are all Correct. mad about it. One point, but... I feel like Laura gets the Laura? second shot. I mean, there's like all three of them, kind of, True, I but would I, argue, but... I, I agree um, with you, but one of them is more prominently kind of an issue than the other. Um, Bashing? No. no baiting. Baiting. Which one is that? Uh, Buffy and Faith? Buffy and Faith. Yeah, um, that's hot. I, oh, right. Oh. I, I've informed a lot of these decisions um. from fan discourse online. So it is not just my mm. opinions. Um, that's right. There's a system. Exactly. And then, okay, let's do one, two more. <laughs> we have Riverdale. I don't watch that show. Can you? Oh, that? wait. I mean, um, I feel like it's, I mean, ding burying um, seems like they murder people a lot on that show there's got to be some yeah. folks. the answer is baiting bashing and burying oh it's all <laughs> okay <laughs> truly i didn't watch that show because the very first story arc was what's his what is his name oh my god archie wow i forgot <laughs> the archie <laughs> comics yeah uh archie's like having sex with his teacher and i was like this is have we gone too far and it only goes downhill from there it's like really like this liar. man is clearly 27 yeah and b i don't want to think about a 16 year old having sex no matter how 27 he looks that's true fuck off i agree i agree and I then take it back well it's a cw show which means they absolutely had to have some yeah. like hot for teacher storyline it's oh, in all of them Jeez. um yes and now the last oh, yeah. one, the last one is a more recent show, but I think is an interesting example. Um, mm. And I, let's see if you find it. It's only one. And that show is Sex Education. Is it baiting because Jillian Anderson or Gillian Anderson or however you pronounce her name is just like always queer baiting lesbians because according to Instagram, we love her. No, but okay, fine. you're wrong and we do love her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the same page. Don't but the her? main one is I'm just saying it yes. is bashing and let me tell you why because adam quite literally Please. abuses eric for years and then they go to if they go for the bully to lovers trope which i do not think is proper queer representation i don't think it's proper queer representation but i do think it's hot can we can we have enough good <laughs> queer representation so that like we my weird kinks podcast. can be like we interrupt this podcast for therapy. This has been a lot. This has been a lot of like, okay, so Kim would fuck herself slash himself. And <laughs> well, and okay, yeah. what is the final tally, Kim? How many points? I won. That's the final tally, bitch. 
I'm sorry. I think it was four. I don't mean to call the judge bitch. I, you're great. That's wow. I we're, was meant it in the reclaimed the way. The judge is deducting a point for, for the <laughs> win though, actually. I still that was win. A, a B I didn't ask for in this quiz. So I mean, I hope you wouldn't ask mm, for any of them. Wow. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't. <laughs> Although I have best to be it. on the table if we're being honest. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this fun special quiz and this fun. Wah, 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 wah. It wasn't that fun, but you know, it's it's informative. I loved it. We should do more quizzes. I wish the car had come back in and honked for that again. That oh, God, it would have been amazing. I am really hoping that our listenership does develop like a strong um, shipping community around <laughs> our podcast. Perfect. I, I understand. But it's only is... with us and our alternate reality versions of ourselves. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> oh, my God. AU, like Kim plus AU Gemsona. AU <laughs> Um, well, thank you very much for joining us and introducing so much weird Freudian stuff to unpack in future episodes. Yeah. No problem. Julia. Anytime. Wow, you really do add so much to this show. Thanks, buddy. She is amazing. Um, yeah. You guys are amazing. I'm so glad I came on the show today and I'm excited to go edit this shortly after I end this recording. Have um, fun with that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you next time. Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsie, Sebastian Bertzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, and Julia Rose Camus. This episode was edited by Julia. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chiel, and our logo was created by Julia. Remember to give us a like on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show.